This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Oliver. Let's pray as we come to consider those words that we've just heard read. Father, we ask that your light would pour into our hearts this morning, that we might understand what you want us to be doing and the sort of people that you want us to be. Amen. I wonder what images the word light conjures up in your mind. Maybe it's the beauty of light, that, that dappled sunlight that you get on a river that's running through a wooded valley, or the sheer blaze of sunlight off of a flat sea. Maybe it's a building with all its nooks and crannies exposed by the floodlighting around, or the light of an optician as they peer into your eye just to make sure everything is okay. Maybe it's the feeling of safety as the aircraft you're in is actually following the lights down to the runway. Maybe it's sandstone buildings that turn that wonderful golden colour in the, 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 the rays of a sunset. A whole variety of different images, and we've probably all got our own, of what light looks like. For most of us, without light, we are grouping around 
in the darkness. And I'd love to be able to talk to somebody who's severely visually impaired to hear how they interpret these passages about light. That ultimate judgment comes on Babylon, as we read in Revelation 18 back in the summer. The light of the lamp will never again shine in you. It was the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. Jesus stood in front of one of the giant menorahs in the outer courtyard, and he proclaimed, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's the sort of statement we would expect from Jesus goes along with the other I am sayings. It goes along with the start of John's Gospel, where John describes Jesus as coming as the light into the world to lighten all people. I don't know whether Matthew's congregation knew those parts of John's Gospel. But if they did, maybe like us, they become both surprised and challenged when they hear the words from our reading this morning. You are the light of the world. Before looking at that in detail, let's just go back a bit and consider how Matthew puts together this particular chapter. At the start, he speaks about what it means to be blessed as a disciple. And it's all the things we'd rather not happen, I guess, that are there. But they're signs of being a blessed as a disciple. It's an upside-down kingdom. Those who are oppressed, those who are marginalized, those who are sad, those who are poor, those who show mercy, those who are seen as losers by the rest of society. They're the ones who are blessed, says Jesus. And after this passage that we read this morning, Matthew continues by speaking about what it means to be an obedient disciple, a God-honoring disciple, a life which goes beyond mere religiosity to one which is framed and lived in the word and spirit of the law. You have heard it said, but I say to you, and we'll be looking at that a bit later this term, And in between these two descriptions of what it means to be a blessed disciple and an obedient disciple, we find this little bridge passage that we've just had read. It links blessedness and obedience, and it spells out the impact when we live lives of blessedness and obedience in the world. Jesus makes two formal and very strong declarations about Christian discipleship. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. There are no ifs or buts in these declarations. These aren't optional descriptions of a Christian disciple. They are the very nature of what it means to be a disciple. Simon last week took us through what it means to be salt of the earth. If you missed that, go back to the website and listen afresh to it. 
sort which preserves, sort which prevents decay. The function of sort is largely negative in that it stops things from happening. But the function of light is largely positive. It illumines the darkness. It prevents us from stumbling. It enables healing. Its variegated colors come together to provide pure light, which gives us clear-sightedness. Light always has a source object. It might be the sun, it might be the flame of a fire, um, it might be a lamp, it might be a torch, whatever it is, there's a source object. But there's also a source of power, whether it's a thermonuclear reaction in the, sun, in the sun or whether it's a humble battery that we've just plugged into the torch that's failed. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. But we can only be that if we follow the one who first declared, I am the light of the world. He is the source of our light. He is the power for our light. King David said this, You, Lord, are my lamp, the Lord who turns darkness into light. And Paul makes the same point in writing to the Corinthians. For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let light shine out of darkness and that light shining into our hearts and then from us shining out into the world. In that sense, we act a bit like a stained glass window of the light inside shining out. Um, one of the, the perks, if I just about think I can call it that, of coming in to take an 8 o'clock communion service here um, was, particularly in the winter, of walking in and looking up to the East End windows and just seeing the windows come alive through the rays of the rising sun. The beautiful colours shining through. If I stood on the other side, it would have just been sort of black glass. But on this side, I could see the wonder and the brilliance and the glory and the color spread across the carpet. As the light of Christ shines through us, so others can see the glory of God. The message paraphrased parts of these verses. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. But who is this light for? When I turn on the light over my favorite reading chair at home, I don't spend all my time admiring the wonderful IKEA lamp that I bought. I'm rejoicing in the fact of the light that's shining so I can actually read the text that's in front of me. And I can see and I can understand what I'm reading. So it is with us being light in the world. It's a light always for others. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven, says Jesus. This has always been the role of God's people. God sheds light through his people for the blessing of others. 
In Isaiah 49, God addresses his people in exile as they're preparing to return back to their homeland. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, for the outsiders who don't acknowledge me at the moment. And I think that's why here Jesus says we're to let our good deeds to be seen by others. You'll know that later on in the Sermon on the Mount, when it gets round to about praying and giving, Jesus says, do that in secret. And I think it's because those latter two end up us puffing ourselves up about what we're doing. But here, as God pours his light into us, changes what we do, and others can then see that light, and it needs to be seen. I think this means that we are to practice and teach the commands found in the law and the prophets, as the passage goes on to say. The whole of the scriptures framing our lives, our every thought, our every deed. And we'll be looking at some of that over these coming weeks in detail. Jesus talks a lot about the law in this passage. Don't get hung up on salvation by works here. That isn't what he's talking about. Jesus is saying, once you come and follow me, there is a call to obedience which is framed by all that I've taught you before through the Old Testament prophets and through the law and through the writings. It's in line with Old Testament theology. One of my favorite Old Testament books is Deuteronomy with, with the, the myriad of different ethical commands that are in there and that can shape so much of our political and economic thinking if we let it. But that book begins with God addressing his people. And this is a paraphrase. You are not my people because you did something to deserve it. You are my people because I loved you. Because I loved you and I have called you. Go and live in these ways because of that calling. And that's the same call that he places on us this morning. Because when we live in obedience, we will be bringing the light of God to the world. It's an obedience and a righteousness which is to outshine that of the Pharisees. I think Matthew's congregation would have done a double take at that point. Because of the reputation of the Pharisees, they were renowned for their understanding of the law. Theologically, they were probably the Jewish party that was closest to Jesus. Yet they had a problem because although they knew the law inside out, it was simply there as an ideology in their mind rather than something that they practiced day by day. So let's learn and apply what we find in the law and the prophets. Yes, we need to reinterpret for how it fits in with our culture today. But getting that understanding of Old Testament law will help us in making our decisions in a complicated society today. When we live in obedience, we will actually show up the world in terms of where it's gone wrong. We will show up what happens when the world says these things will bring you freedom and fulfillment. 
we'll find that there is actually a better way than what the world says. As a powerful x-ray exposes the cracks in the bones, so the light that we shine will expose the cracks in our own society. Hold up a, a Duff banknote to the light, and you can see that it's counterfeit. As we shine our light into our culture, we will show up those parts of our culture which are counterfeit. But we also do the opposite effect with light as well. Because when we speak with mercy, when we speak with love, when we speak with joy, we will show a different way of living. It's like that testimony on the film just now. We had an open acceptance into a community where people loved me and I was able to, to be me. And as we shine God's light into the world, that's the sort of community that we can make. It's living out those words later on in Isaiah, where um, Isaiah describes living in God's way, and it says, we'll make the community livable again. We let the light of God shine through us into the world. We'll become like Christmas lights that brighten up a dark winter's afternoon. What does this look like in practice? Well, I want to take four examples, short ones, and one challenge. When King Charles visited Northern Ireland this past week, nearly all the commentators and the politicians weren't talking about his current visit, but were talking about the visit that the Queen made some years back when she met and shook hands with Martin McGuinness. It was an act of mercy, it was an act of forgiveness, given particularly all that her own family had been through. I love the comments of Sinn Féin's speaker after the meeting last Tuesday about that previous meeting. He said, a small but significant gesture can make a huge difference in changing attitudes. Let your light so shine before others. One of my former bosses um, used to work with somebody who spoke fairly regularly at Christian conferences. And there was a period when that conference speaker was temporarily suspended by his employer because there had been allegations of financial misconduct. And my boss said to me, I know they won't find anything wrong with that man here. He is as honest as honest can be through and through. He is full of integrity. Let your light so shine before others. Last Monday evening, Rebecca shared um, a prayer letter from Ukraine with us. And it included these words. A friend currently in Kyiv noticed a generation gap in her church. She decided to pioneer a ministry and see how it went. Last week, they ran the third youth event with 19 present. They could discuss their hardships and struggles in the war and support each other. Let your light so shine before others. An East London MP 
He commented that whenever he saw communities in his constituency being transformed, he could guarantee that the churches were right there in the thick of it and doing the transformation. Let your light so shine before others. Maybe a challenge for those of you who work in paperless quotes offices. Um, who clears the communal printer when it gets jammed or replenishes when the paper runs out? Let your light so shine before others. This won't be easy. It will be hard, I think, on two counts. The first is that we won't always be thanked for pointing out where the cracks are. In fact, quite the opposite will probably be, um, will be come down on for that. You see that going on in Venezuela at the moment with the, the impact on the Roman Catholic um, Church there from the government. The second is the expectation that that light will continue to shine day after day. It must not be hidden. I found it interesting looking at a word study on light this past week that one of the earliest commands um, in those books we tend to skip over is, is the need to keep the lights going in the tabernacle, that symbol of God's presence. Oil needed to be supplied so that the lights would never go out. And I think that's the sort of image that Jesus is talking about here with us too. One commentator puts it like this, the hardest part is not being a Christian for a day, but being faithful day after day, maintaining the confidence in what for, to, for all the world appears to be a losing cause. Dietrich Bonhoeffer expressed it slightly more harshly. Flight into the invisible is a denial of the call, he wrote. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. It's quite a challenge. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Now let's be honest and conscious of our failures here. Those times when we haven't spoken out when we should have done. Those times when we've, we've hidden our faith and we've merged into the background because to do anything else would have been so, so difficult. Let's ask for God's forgiveness and let the light shine again. I want to end with an illustration that the Bible teacher John Stott uses in his comments on these verses. Now, I don't usually associate him with flights of fantasy, but the illustration he uses here must, must be one that comes very close to it, I think. He noted a verse in Philippians where Paul writes that when we, have, when we live blessed and obedient Christian lives, then you will shine like stars in the sky. And he then goes on to comment in this way, that he looks for the day when people will approach such twinkling Christians and ask, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. But what an opportunity to speak of the good news of Jesus when people come to us and say, well, why did you behave like that? Maybe it's those twinkling eyes of the queen. Maybe that's where that comes from. 
And it's interesting how people have spoken about her, her duty and everything else. And some have spoken about her faith, but in much of the commentary, that's sort of been, I'm not quite sure about this bit of it, but that's been right at the heart for her, I think, over this, all these years. Then you will shine like stars in the sky. How's our shining doing at the moment? You are the light of the world. Let light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen.